0: Man, you may be seated. Well, I have some good news for everyone. My stomach is growling, which means in the second service, that's good news, you know. So we'll get out of here in a, in a little bit. But um, thank you guys so much for coming to church this Sunday. I really appreciate it. I know I'm not Matt, you know, but I guess I like to imagine this week I was telling Allie that like I was the first one on Matt's list. Like, he was like, it's got to be Cameron. Um, but maybe in reality I was down the list and he was just desperate to get someone up here. But either way, I feel like the Lord led me here and I'm super excited to speak. Um, and also just know this. I, Ten years ago, I would have never been doing what I'm doing now. If it weren't for Jesus Christ changing my life, this is not where I would be. I would be somewhere else living a life not for him. And so every time I get on this, up here in this pulpit or on this stage and I speak, i look at it as a privilege and an honor because I was not... I don't know. The Lord had His plan and His way, but I would have never chose this. He chose this for me, and I'm very thankful that He did. So, thank you guys for letting me speak. Um, so, when I speak with students down in our student space, I start my talks off with a game. When I come up to big church with adults, I start off with stories. And uh, my family, I feel like, was very nervous in the first service because they were wondering who I was going to throw under the bus this Sunday. But I didn't throw anybody under the bus, I don't think. Um, instead, I was going to take you guys into a moment in mine and Allie's relationship. Uh, a few weeks in, I knew I wanted to marry Allie. It was very clear and very apparent to me. And I believe it was the same for her, right? That's what I thought. So, <laughs> so uh, about a year in, I decided I was going to do something big for our one-year anniversary. I was going to do something to treat her, and I was going to do something to treat me. Okay? To treat me, we were going to go to the Cheesecake Factory, you know what I'm saying? There's like 50 different kinds of cheesecake, but that's not what I'm preaching on this morning. And then for Allie, we were going to go engagement ring shopping. And we were going to look and pick out the ring that um, I would propose to her with. And I knew I picked the right place, Shane Company in Duluth, because you walk in, the first thing you see is a platter of free cookies. So I grabbed a snickerdoodle and I grabbed a chocolate chip, but I avoided oatmeal raisin because why are they cookies? And then we, sorry, I'm glad you guys are laughing along. And so we got to the counter, and someone started helping us and showing us all the different types of rings the different diamonds. And it was a really, really fun thing. But there was this really awkward moment where the woman in front of us was like, it's time for me to show you your diamond. And she took a piece of paper out like this big, and drew and it had a circle drawn in the middle. And then she took what looked like a kaleidoscope and put it at the diamond and picked it up, and then she would draw, and it looked like, honestly, if I were to take a two-year-old for our children's ministry and gave them an Expo marker, and I said, draw a smiley face. It was the saddest thing. It was not a diamond, I'll tell you that much. And she, she drew it on this page, and she said, this is your diamond, and like, wanted us to smile, but I was like, that is a piece of paper. That is not a diamond. And then she said, but would you like to see your diamond too? And she gave us what we now know is called a loop, and it's a magnifying glass, and she let us zoom in on that diamond. And then that 2D poorly drawn image made sense. Like we started rotating the diamond around and there were cracks within the diamond that were imperfections. It didn't mean that the diamond was weak. It meant that the diamond was natural. And we started turning in every way I turned that diamond. It was like looking at something new. And it was one of the most breathtaking things I've done. At the end of that, we uh, picked the diamond, put our order in and we went away. But it was just, if I had to describe my relationship with Jesus Christ, my journey, it would be that story. And what I mean is, for the majority of my life, I had this poorly drawn image of who Jesus was. Like, to me, Jesus was just a good man who did a lot of good things for the majority of my life. That's the only way I looked at him. I was baptized young, but I didn't fully understand stood what it meant for Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And so, for the majority of my life, it was a 2D image of God. And that has nothing to do with my parents who brought me up in church. It has nothing to do with the pastors that came before me. It has nothing to do with my life group leaders. I had a hard heart, muffled ears, and closed eyes. And that's why I couldn't see Jesus for who he was. But then my freshman or sophomore year of college, he became real to me. I realized I was in my bedroom crying because I realized that I was sinful and my sin placed Jesus on the cross. Like my sin. My sin. And I realized that there was not a more loving being in the world besides Jesus Christ. To go to a cross and die for my sins when I was unworthy to be in his presence, it was awe-inspiring to me. And every day now, I try to look at Jesus like a diamond. I just want to turn him and look at him and find different perspectives of how to look at him and how to see him, because he has so much depth and so much love and so much kindness. And so that's what I've been doing for the rest of my life, is just trying to know this Jesus better because he wants to know me. And so that's really what Matt has been doing the past few weeks. He's been in Revelation 1 through 5, and he's been painting this image that Jesus is a conquering king, which is totally true, and that he sits on a throne of judgment, and that one day everything around us, even us, will be restored to him if we believe in Jesus as our Savior. And that is awesome. But I think we could do a disservice to Jesus if that's the only picture we look at of him. Jesus definitely is a conquering king. But he's also a humbling servant. And he's also a seeker and a savior of the lost. And there's so many ways that we can look at him like a diamond. And we can just turn him around and see him from all these different angles. So that's my task today. About Monday morning, I had a sermon prepped and ready. And then the Holy Spirit said, that's not what you're going to preach, which is always comforting. As someone who's going to speak in front of 250, 300 people on a Sunday. But then the Lord led me in this journey because I wanted to make sure you knew that there is a Jesus who loves you. And there's so many different ways that we can look at him because he loves us and he cares for us. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And William joked about it earlier. There's so many songs about this story about Zacchaeus. But I do want to say this. If this is the first time you've ever read or heard this story, you are miles ahead of the rest of us. And the reason why is because we carry so much things that we've learned throughout our life that I sometimes wish I could read Scripture anew for the first time. And you get to do that today. And we, as we carry along our stuff, and it might give us depth and insight, but it's amazing that you get to read it for the first time yourself. And this is just a beautiful story about how Jesus loves those who the world cannot understand why he does. Um, so let me read that with us. Sorry, hit my mic. And then we'll pray and we'll get started. So Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, says, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was not able, or he was not able to, sorry. He was trying to see Jesus, but was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the message that you laid on my heart. And Lord, I know that since you've laid it on my heart, that is what our church needs to hear today. I pray that I just humble myself and be your mouthpiece. And may I interpret your scripture and may I let it speak for yourself because it is such full of depth and love and care and we can't help but read this story and see how Jesus seeks and saves the lost. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room that Jesus is this 2D image that someone else has told them about, but they're interested, Lord. I pray that you stir some interest or curiosity up in their hearts and they desire to know your Son on a deeper level. And for those of us in the room who've followed you faithfully for years and years and years, may we look at this story with freshness and a newness. And may we be reminded that we once too were lost as well. And may you challenge us to see the world, to see people the way you see them. And to share the gospel and share the amazing news of Jesus. Because everyone is worthy of hearing it. So Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, verse 10 kind of spoils my whole sermon because Jesus sums up everything that he spoke and everything that he did in one sentence, and it actually fills up a lot of the back of your bulletin, which I don't know. Are some of you in the room like, if you don't complete this, you feel like you've sinned? You don't have to feel that way. I'm going to give you a few points, but we just have it for you to follow along. You can make other notes if you want to as well. In verse 10, Jesus says, "For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost." That is the perspective that we're going to look at Jesus like a diamond. We're going to study those things, and how do we know that Jesus is a seeker and that Jesus is a savior? So the first uh, gap in your bulletin, where it says, "Jesus is A, that's seeker. And the last one that says, "Jesus is A, that's savior." And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Jesus is a seeker. Let's begin by painting the story. Jesus is heading into Jericho. He has never entered the city before. He's only talked about it once before, and that was in a story called the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, where there's a man coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. But he's only spoke about the city. He's never entered the city. And so this is his first time entering into the city. And he has a pretty amazing entrance. People are just crowding to see him. Because rumors spread, this comes a week before his crucifixion, almost a week before his crucifixion. The next city he enters into will be Jerusalem. And then a week later, he'll die on the cross. But people are hyped to see Jesus because they've heard Jesus feeds 5,000. I said it in the first ever, say it here too. If we heard that there was a preacher going around and he can multiply food, you telling me us at a Baptist church would not welcome him in our doors and not invite him in for a potluck? I mean, come on. And Jesus wasn't just like multiplying food. He was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. And he was preaching some radical things that people had never heard before. So the crowds were wanting to see him. And that's the first person we're introduced to in the story is Jesus. And then we're introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, he is a Jewish man, and his name means pure, which seems very ironic since he's a chief tax collector. And not only that, he's rich. So if you're unfamiliar with tax collectors... Those are people who work for the government to collect taxes, which would be great if Israel ruled themselves. But they didn't. Rome did. So a tax collector was a Jewish person who would extort and manipulate Jewish people to make money for Rome. So nobody liked Zacchaeus. But not only that, we see that he was a chief tax collector, which means he he had done this for a while, and that he had also overseen other people manipulate Jewish people. And on top of that, he was rich. And the only way a tax collector could be rich was if they took more than Rome even asked for. So Zacchaeus was not the kind of person that we would let, us, let in front of us at, in the line at Publix. Okay? Zacchaeus was the person we cut off in traffic. Everybody following me? He was not someone that we would invite over to our homes. He was the kind of person that we would tell our kids not to become. That's Zacchaeus. And so what we see is that there is something in Zacchaeus, though, that He has to see Jesus. All he wants to do is just see Jesus. And I I mean, there's a lot of things why Jesus was a kind, gentle man. One of the things I think that maybe Zacchaeus could have heard about was that one of Jesus' main disciples was a tax collector. So maybe he thought, well, if Jesus includes him, maybe he'll include me. And Zacchaeus probably felt isolated most of his life. The Jewish people didn't like him, and honestly, Rome didn't like him. So he was alone a lot of times. And what we see is that Zacchaeus takes major jumps to get to Jesus. Two of them that we would consider emasculating. One is that he ran ahead. Jewish men in that time, you don't run. You walk. If you run, that's very immature of you. And the other thing is that he climbed a sycamore tree, which sycamore trees can grow to be 30 to 40 feet tall, which I already hear that and I go, no, thank you. I'll stay in the crowd because I'm not a big fan of heights. But Zacchaeus would climb a tree like a child would. But he was doing all these things because there was something within him that needed to see Jesus. But the person we're studying in this scripture is not Zacchaeus. The person we're studying is Jesus. So let's talk about how we know that Jesus is a seeker. And we'll pick that up in verse five. It says, When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. First thing I want you to know, sub-point is this. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He saw him. And, um, it wasn't like a fangirl moment, you know, like if you go to a concert and one of the lead musicians high fives you and you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, he touched me. You know, that's not the kind of encounters Zacchaeus had. It was more of Jesus was walking in a crowd of hundreds of people, saw Zacchaeus and stopped and talked to him. And we're later going to see invited himself into his home. And that's because Zac- or Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And that's true for us today. Jesus sees us. But here's the thing that's really intimidating. We don't really want to be seen. We would prefer people have this social media construct of us, that, like, everything's going good, our marriage is good, our dating life is good, or, you know, just listen, us things. I love my job, I love my family, but in reality, there are parts in our lives that we wish we could hide from anyone But the thing is, Jesus knows us inside and out. He knows you better than you you know you. And so because of that, that can be scary. But I hope today I can help you understand that it's actually the most comforting thing that you could have. Because that means that Jesus knows you to the deepest levels of who you are. He knows your sin. He knows your brokenness. He knows how, how just messed up we are. But here's the thing. And he pursues us anyway. And if that means there is a God who sent his son... And he knows the depth of our sin. And he still loves us and still pursues us. That is a God that we can depend on and anchor our life in. Because that means he loves us more than we could ever love anybody else. So Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Now the second point is this. Jesus sought Zacchaeus. I love that Jesus didn't have to, you know, if I don't know someone in public, it is the most embarrassing thing. Especially working at a church where you're supposed to know people's names, but... My memory is probably my biggest weakness on staff. And so you go up to people and you go, what's up, buddy, pal, how are you? You know, And you're trying to just come up with something to relate to them, but you forget their name. What's amazing is Jesus has never entered into Jericho and he knew Zacchaeus' name. Which means either two things. Jesus is fully God, which he is. And so maybe he just knew Zacchaeus from the inside out because he's God. Or maybe Zacchaeus has a reputation that comes before him. And maybe people talk about that. When you enter into Jericho, there's a man there that you don't need to trust and you need to stay away from. We don't know. But regardless, it's amazing that Jesus knew his name and wanted to have a relationship with him. And that's the big thing. That's how we know Jesus sought Zacchaeus. He didn't just want a moment with Zacchaeus. He wanted a relationship with Zacchaeus, which is so true for us today. Like, Jesus doesn't want you just to have your testimony just to be, at VBS, 20 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. Or 10 years ago, I gave my life to Christ at D now. Like he, those moments are good stones for us to have in a journey of life that we can go back on. But Jesus wants more than just a moment. He wants a lifetime with us. He loves us too much to just have part of our lives. He wants all of it. Every part of it. Every nook and cranny. Everything that we want to give him and everything we want to keep away from him. Jesus wants it all. And it's shown because he knows Zacchaeus' name. And the final point is this, Jesus, or the final point of this section, Jesus dwelt with Zacchaeus. I can only describe what Jesus did as something a high school boy would do. High school boys don't ask for permission. They just tell you what's going to happen. So it's almost like Zac, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, he didn't go, can I come to your house tonight? Are you prepared to have me? Instead, it was the most high school boy thing I've ever heard. And he was like, I'm coming to your house tonight, and you, whether you like it or not. Which is pretty intrusive, but I love it because that's Jesus. Because Jesus, again, doesn't want to just be a part of our lives. He wants to be in our lives and wants to be all of our lives. And so this isn't something that should be unfamiliar to us, like that God wants to dwell with his people. Okay? Because what Jesus is really seeking out to do... Is Jesus wants to have a meal with Zacchaeus. He wants to have dinner with Zacchaeus. He wants to have late night conversations with Zacchaeus. He wants to talk about with Zacchaeus the things that we don't want to talk about, even with our closest friends. He wants to talk with him about the job that he has and does he feel like he's really honoring God? He wants to talk about his family and does he feel like he's honoring them? Like, Jesus wants to have a deep, intimate relationship with Zacchaeus, and that's no different than the God that we talk about in Genesis. But let me back up a second. So I have this skill that I've picked up since working at Briarwood. I've been here almost seven years, and I can tell where Doug Art is at all times. And here's how, okay? Doug Art takes the elevator. So if I'm in my office on the first floor and I hear the elevator ding, either that's Rebecca bringing trash bags to clean the church or Doug Art's coming down to the first floor. Also, Doug wouldn't mind me saying this about him. Doug is a pretty big guy. He lifts weights which means his footsteps carry a lot farther than everybody else in the church. And I can tell, I can hear the floors creak around the church as Doug comes to my office. And I would say 95% of the time, I'm already looking at my doorway when he comes into my office, because I just know he's coming. And the reason I know Doug, and I know that he's coming to be with me and talk with me, and just probably tell too many stories together. But anyway, the whole point of me and Doug and our relationship is that we dwell with each other from nine to five every day, Monday through Friday. We talk together. We spend time together. And I want to point you back to a time, if you want to flip there, you can, all the way back to Genesis 3, in a really sad moment in our history as humans. It's when Adam and Eve sinned. But here's what I want you guys to think about. How did Adam and Eve know that God was looking for them after they sinned? If you go all the way to verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the time of the evening breeze. They knew God was trying to dwell with them because they knew his footsteps. That's how close of a relationship they had with God. He walked with them, he talked with them, he ate meals with them, and God or Jesus is no different with Zacchaeus and is no different with us. That's what he wants for us. He wants to be a part of every part of our lives. He wants us to recognize his footsteps. He wants us to recognize his voice. And a side note to any of the people in the room who are believers, The number one thing that God gave as affirmation of being a believer is the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons that God gave us the Holy Spirit is so that he could dwell with us every single day. So we don't have to go to a priest or a synagogue to talk with him and to be right with him. Jesus paid our sin debt forever and he gave us the Holy Spirit so we can talk with God and seek guidance from God and direction. Which means that Jesus seeks us and Jesus wants to dwell with us. So before we keep going in the story, let me just ask you, Do you believe Jesus is your seeker? Do you believe that he's seeking after you? And that's not just something that like we have one moment of. Like Jesus seeked after me when I accepted him in college and he no longer cares to be with me. That's not the case. God wants us to follow him and spend every day with us. So do you believe Jesus is your seeker? Now, for that middle point that seems like it isn't related, let's turn to the third kind of party introduced to us in this story, which is the crowd. What I really hope is that we don't see much of what the crowd is like in our own lives, but I fear that we can easily fall trapped to it. So if you go to verse 7, it says, All who saw it, the crowd, began to complain, Jesus has gone to stay with a sinful man. The crowd couldn't comprehend that Jesus would want to spend time with a sinner. And the flaw with that was that they believed they were less of a sinner than Zacchaeus. And what they thought was that his sin was greater than their sin and that they were better people than him, which is a flaw that we all have, which we can fall into called comparison. And what the crowd was really doing was they were, I I believe, they were upset. Jesus didn't want to dwell with them. So how did they deal with their ups? How when they're they're angry is that they go and they make up an excuse and they say, I cannot believe that he would spend time with him and not me. And the problem we have is when we compare and we do those things is that we pump ourselves up and we tear so many people down. And there are two warnings I want to have for you. One, for that bullet point, we are the lost. We need to understand that in this story and in verse 10, Jesus died on the cross to seek and save the lost and that was us. We're not exempt from that. We might be found now and be believers, but the only thing that makes us different than a non-believer, it is not sin. We still sin, they sin. The only difference is that Jesus' blood covers us. And because of that truth, two things. One, we should be way more compassionate than we should be judgmental. That's just the thing I've learned as I was studying the scripture, that's a truth into my own life. When Jesus saw crowds of people who were broken, it says in scripture far more often that he was compassionate. And we should be too. But the other thing means that we understand that everyone is worthy of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That does not mean that there is a single person who has walked this world and is, and is currently living that should not hear the gospel. Every single person should. There is no person that is too sinful, too broken, that cannot hear the gospel. And that means every classmate and next-door neighbor and coworker we have deserves to hear it because Jesus loves them and is seeking and trying to save them. So, to the end, let's talk about Jesus as a savior for a second. So the first sub-point is this, Jesus alone changed Zacchaeus. That's the next bullet point for you. What we see is Zacchaeus goes to this crazy metamorphosis. Like all of a sudden, Zacchaeus goes from cheating people to now giving half of what he he's earned to the poor and paying back people four times as much that he extorted, which is a miracle in itself. But I don't want you to mess up what changed about Zacchaeus, okay? So here's what I want you to get. Yes, Zacchaeus' life changed. His actions changed. His habits changed. But more importantly, Zacchaeus' heart changed. In the middle of him telling that he's going to change himself, two words appear, and they're the same word back to back, it says, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. Zacchaeus went from calling Jesus Jesus to calling Jesus Lord, which means something on Jesus' heart changed. And what it was, or sorry, in Zacchaeus's heart changed. And what it was was Jesus was not just a miracle worker, he wasn't just a healer, he wasn't just a good teacher, he was his Lord. The Greek term here for Lord is called, is kurios. It also is what can be interpreted as a master to a slave. And so in, in that moment, Zacchaeus realized that he was not going to run his life anymore. Jesus was. That he was no longer going to call the shots anymore. Jesus was. Because Jesus was now his master and he was his servant. And that's the change that changed Zacchaeus. Don't, don't hear this, that the way to be a Christian is to do more good works. It is not to change what you do, it is to change your heart. I tell our students this in our student ministry all the time. If you let Jesus change your heart, he will change your actions. But if you let Jesus change your actions, he might never touch your heart. And that is the truth that we have to remember is that Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. But not only can Jesus alone change Zacchaeus, Jesus alone saved Zacchaeus. That's the final bullet point that you have to fill out on your bulletin. Because look at what Jesus says. He doesn't just celebrate and he goes, today, Zacchaeus is a changed man. But what he says is, today, salvation has come to this house. For Jesus, it was a celebratory time because Zacchaeus was a changed man from the inside out. And and that's the thing. Jesus doesn't just want to change your life. He wants to save you. We all have something to be saved from, and it is called sin. And sin is not something we do. It is, but that's not all it is. It is something of who we are. I also tell our students this all the time. When someone, if someone were to come up to me on the sidewalk and slap me across the face, my first reaction wouldn't be, God bless you. Would you like to slap me again? As much as I wish I was that kind and gentle, my response would be, it's about to go down. And that's because we're sinful. We're not naturally forgiving. We're not naturally kind or gentle. But that's the thing. Jesus alone saves us. He changes us, but he saves us from something that we can't save ourselves from. So, as we kind of wrap up our talk today, I want to go back to verse 10. It says, For the Son Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. If you're in the room and you've never heard that, if you're in the room and Jesus is just a 2D image, like that diamond I talked about at the beginning of this talk, I hope today you realize that he's more than just a man who lived 2,000 years ago, that he is seeking and saving you today, that he wants you to be a part of his family, that he wants you to be a part of his people. But if you're in the room and you follow Jesus for 5, 10, 20 years, I hope today that you're reminded that you were pursued and you still are being pursued. We don't need to walk our lives just passively following Jesus. That's not what he wants for us. He wants us to follow him every day like it's brand new. And that's something we have to work towards and we have to fight for because being a believer in Jesus can sometimes grow old in us, but we should never diminish the value that it was that Jesus took our sin upon the cross and paid for our debt. So as we kind of wrap up today, we're going to have a different response than we typically do. I might have forgot to say this, but we have a few people on staff away for this week. Joe's on vacation with his family, Brandy's on vacation with hers, and Matt is all the way in Zambia, which means you can be a little scared. Me, Dan, and Doug are the only ones in the office every day this week, so pray for us. Um, But because we're kind of limited on people, I just want to challenge you with this. One, when we sing this last worship song, talk to the God of the universe who seeks and saves you through His Son. Like, don't let this just be another time where we go through a habitual worship session at the end of a service. But instead, talk to the God who saved you and thank him and be grateful for what he's done. The other thing is, if you're new here and something I've said maybe about Jesus has piqued your interest and you want to learn more about him, fill out this Connect card. When we go into our giving portion in a few minutes, um, we're going to you can put that in there as well. And the last thing I want you to say is or want to say and challenge you with is, again, we're about to worship Worship with a grateful and authentic and genuine heart. Because that's what Jesus deserves. Because he died on the cross for you and me because he loves us and because he seeked and saved the lost. May we remember that about Jesus. That he is a conquering king, but he is also a humble servant. And that he seeked and saved you and me. Will you pray with me? Um, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to turn to your word. I thank you so much for your son and how he is just so deep and personal and genuine he is so gracious and kind and i cannot believe that you sent him to save me and to save everyone in here and so lord i pray that we remember that and i pray that we we sing loudly the praises with a grateful heart at the end of the service because of your great love and pursuit of us so lord i love you i thank you And may we worship you authentically with the rest of this service. And it's your name I pray. Amen.